Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 1. And this is episode 400 of Self-Publishing Journeys. So I'm not doing anything special today other than bringing back these podcast diaries for the next 25 episodes through virtually to the middle of the year. It is Saturday the 14th of January 2023 today and I should welcome you then to the first of these 25 new episodes and it's nice to be back with the diary. I've got lots and lots to tell you. Now we're we're back a week early. I said I was going to do it next week but you've got two weeks of double episodes because I had so much. I always write notes down as I'm doing things and as things occur to me or if I spot articles. When I'm doing these diaries I always keep a document in Google Drive and I just jot things down as I'm going along and I had so much stuff I thought I just need to get started with this. The, the other thing is I delayed this episode because we were coming back from Malaga on Monday and I thought I'd be more disorganized than I was and I've actually been really quite organized this week and got back into the flow. So you get two double helpings this week and next you'll get uh, the normal podcast diaries and parts two and three of my favorite tools and resources which is also what I promised you so hopefully that's a really sort of bumper crop of things to celebrate the 400th episode of this podcast. So let me tell you what's coming up this week. I have started work on book two of my new trilogy this week. I let you know my word count and how it's been going so far. I'm going to bring you up to date with my New Year travels in Malaga and Torremolinos. Plus, I will give you an insight into my planning process and writing process for book two in a new audio diary feature that I'm going to give a try, see how it gets on. Hopefully it'll give you a better insight into how I get my writing done. And if you like it, I'll keep doing it while I'm writing these books. Let's then start with my writing update. I had not intended to start writing this week. I'd completely left this week free for planning, to continue the planning. But when I got back and opened up the plan on either Monday afternoon or, or Tuesday, we got back from Malaga on, on Monday. I looked at the story and I thought, oh, story's there. I've, I've done it. I did it before we left for the holiday. Uh, I just needed to add a few little extra details and things like that. So what I thought I would do is I thought, well, okay, um, I'm trying a new technique with this book. And that is something that I've got from Craig Martell from 20 Books to 50K. And Craig always writes the first chapter and the last chapter of his book before he does the rest. And then he says it's simply a case of, of you know, getting from point A to point Z throughout the chapters of a book. And I tried that with the, the last one, the one that's now with the editor. And uh, I quite liked it. I, I liked having that very firm direction of travel. So I've done it with this book again. I thought, OK, well, I'll just write the first chapter this week, you know, do it gently and I'll, I'll come and write the last chapters next week. But in actual fact, I sat down to write the first chapter on Wednesday. It went really well. And again, I left a bit of time for some planning and thought I'm going to write the two more chapters this week. So I have written on Wednesday, the opening chapter of this second book. And today, through this book, there are two strands running. There's a 1970s plot and there's a plot in the present day. And what I've done is I've written the culmination of the 70s plot at the end of the book and the culmination of the present day plot at the end of the book. So my word count this week. On Wednesday, I wrote 1,727 words. And today, literally in the last five minutes I've started, I'm in a rush today, I've got a lot of things on, so I need to record this diary. I've written 1,689 words of one chapter, 
and 2,302 words of another chapter. So in total this week, I have written 5,718 words and I hadn't intended to write anything at all this week. So you can imagine, I'm feeling pretty pleased about that. Also, I would say that the first chapter and the last chapter are often the most problematical in, in that they've got to be the most right. You can't allow for any drift in those chapters, you know, in, certainly because this is the middle part of a trilogy that lo those last chapters have got to set up the next book to make people buy the next book. And also because it is the middle part of a, a, a trilogy, there's the potential there for it getting a bit stodgy and a bit, um, you, you, know, you know, the action may be flagging. I always try and make sure I don't do that in the second book. So I need a really strong start at the beginning of that book and I, I think I've got my strong start. What I've done this week and uh, I wanted I wanted this set of diaries to particularly focus on my writing and how I write and how I plan. Uh, this week I've experimented with an audio diary so what I've done literally just before I started writing and immediately after I finished writing I've recorded my my thoughts my feelings how I've set everything up in an audio diary on my mobile phone. So you've got six bits of audio from this week's writing, before and after each bit of writing. And I'm sharing with you how apprehensive I feel. I'm sharing you with, with you the notes that I wrote that I'm working from, whether I had any difficulties, what my word count was, and just my thoughts as I go along. Now, what I'm going to do is they won't be to everybody's tastes. So what I'm doing is when I've signed out at the end of this podcast, right at the end of this podcast, I will then put the audio diary right at the end after I've said goodbye. So that if you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to. But if you do want to listen to it, uh, well, you tell me whether you think it's worth me doing because I'm happy to do it for the duration of this book. If you want me to, if you find that it gives you an insight. But so many people have said to me, I don't know how you write so fast. I don't know how you get so many words done. I thought, well, how can I, how can I uh, give you a better insight into this? And I thought, well, this is a great way of giving you a really good insight. I'll, I'll, because all you get normally on these diaries, is I just sit here and tell you how many words I've done, and it sounds like I'm some kind of Superman. Well, it, it, from my point of view, it's not like that. Um, there's a lot of self-doubt involved in that, a little bit of trepidation, particularly when I'm starting to write a book. And I thought, if I record an audio diary, you'll get much more of a sense of that, and it will give you a more realistic insight into how I get my words done. So here I am telling you it's 5,718 words. For those of you who, who struggle to get a word count in or who don't have much time to write, you'll all be sitting there thinking, blimey, I wish I could write that much. I want to give you a better insight into, into how that gets there because I don't just roll up and write it um, and, and I don't want you to get that impression. So that's what the audio diary is there for. Now, I've recorded it this week. There are six short segments, so it's not a long thing, but it's probably what will take up 20 minutes, half an hour uh, altogether. Right at the end of this podcast, if you find it useful, if you'd like me to do some more, please drop me a line at paul at paulteague.com or just drop me a line through social media if it's useful and I'll carry on recording them if you want me uh, to do so, if, if that's something useful for you. So yeah, just to reiterate, Craig Martell's technique, write the beginning and the ending first, then just you know, do the bits in the middle. I was listening to one of Sophie Hanna's webinars this week, and she calls these the beginning and the end. She calls those the high effort chapters. And that's why I was nervous about writing them. They're high effort chapters because they've got to be absolutely right. 
there is the potential within the middle of a book for a chapter perhaps to be a little bit stodgy, not not quite right, to be a little bit slow, a little bit of a linky chapter. You, know, you could get away with it in the middle of a book, but you cannot get away with it in the first and last chapters. They've got to be absolutely right. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that you should ever do that in a book, but I agree with Sophie. I thought that was a really good phrase. They're high effort chapters. Got to get them right. Absolutely got to get them right. So... I started with those. Now, it's interesting. Sophie Hanna recommends that you don't start with those. Sophie Hanna recommends in, in, in the podcast, the uh, webinar that I was listening to this week, she actually recommends that you don't start with those because they are such high effort. She actually recommends that you start writing in the middle in a simple chapter where just something normal and routine happens because that gets you into it. Uh, and and I, I hear both sides of the story, but I'm I'm at the moment, I like Craig Martell's technique, you see, because I like to, you, you've probably heard of the book Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, Brian, Brian Tracy. And in Eat That Frog, it's about time management and it's about tackling the hardest task first. And I agree with that. I'd rather tackle the hardest first task, hardest task first. It's hard to say that. Not, not an easy task. So for my for my mindset, I'd rather do it Craig Bartell's way, beginning and ending first. Now, I've never done that with my books before. I've never done that. But actually, I really like the focus that it's brought to the book. I found it very, very useful. So it might be something you want to, to, to try too. Or you might be more of a Sophie Hanna kind of person and write the, you know, leave the high effort chapters until later, until you've warmed yourself up a bit with some easier chapters. But I share both of those, you know, as ever, take what you like, jettison what you don't. I'm just offering this by, by way of my personal experience. And hopefully you might be able to draw something from that. So throughout this week, and, and when I, I recorded the, the, the podcast before we went to Malaga, I'd done a lot of planning on book two. So I had a full outline of book two. It's a 75,000 word book. That's what I've booked in with Claire Cronshaw, the editor. Claire works in a very uh, organized way. So I'm feeling more uh, compelled, if you want, to deliver a book that's right on target than I ever ha have done before. And I, and I like that, you know, let me be clear about that. The more tied down and organized it is, I like it better because it gives you less wriggle room to mess around and, and procrastinate. So I like less wiggle room. Um, it, 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 again, it suits my mindset better. So this is a 75,000 word book. It's a 45 chapter book, which means I'm writing roughly 1,666 words per chapter. Now that can plus or minus, it, it's fine. And if you listen to the audio diary, you'll actually hear that one of those chapters overshot quite considerably this week. And I tell you about how I will adjust that within the book. So I've used, I'm doing quite a lot that's different this time. I've used from Living Writer, in Living Writer, you get the, you get lots of different suggestions for structures for a book. And I thought, um, Save the Cat is actually quite sparse. It gives you key points, the Save the Cat routine, which is what I've done previously for all of my books. But I, I looked at the Living Writer 27 chapter method and it actually incorporated all the key points of Save the Cat, but actually gave you a bit more detail as the book progressed. So I'm actually using the 27 chapter method from Living Writer. And if you want to know what that is, then you can subscribe to Living Writer. You, I think it's a free week you can get. Just just have a look and have a look at the different structures that they use for the books without paying for anything if you want. But it still hits those save the cat key points, but it just gives me a little bit more to hang the story off. So I've got a planning sheet 
with 45 chapters in there. Each planning sheet has uh, the 27 chapter method notes. So I've, I've sort of, I've, I've, I don't write a 27 chapter book. What I've done is I've basically put the key points, I've spread them over the 45 chapters. So I'm hitting all the points, you know, re relative to where they should be. And then after uh, each chapter, I always put something saying, where is the action tension? I force myself to say, where is the action or the tension in this chapter? If I can't tell you where the beat whatever you want to call it, the action, the tension, the stress in each chapter is. If I can't tell you that, then the chapter doesn't deserve to be there because I'm cheating the reader. Because I'm writing psychological thrillers, each chapter has to have a purpose. It has to drive the plot forward. It has to have a mystery, a question. Something has to happen which drives the plot forward. And I, for each chapter, make myself write that down because if I can't say it, it's not there. Also, before I start the book, and I was going to do this for the weekend, I'm, I'm sort of, I must be refreshed from my holes because I'm cooking on gas at the moment. Another thing that I've started to do is I write tagline one, tagline two, I express the theme of the book, and I write a blurb before I write the book. And I've done that. I did this yesterday for this book. So, uh, you know, the tagline is literally, it's like the film, uh, the film tagline, you know, just a single sentence teasing the book and by having two taglines it just it sets the mood and the feel of the book for me so I've written my two taglines they might not be taglines that I use but they're taglines that that are fine they're fine for now in, in a working edition I want to settle on the theme what is this book about what is the heart of this book what is the theme and the theme of this book or this whole trilogy is about young girls who in the UK in the 1970s if they became pregnant out of wedlock, they often had to go to church-run or charity-run homes. They would have the babies there. They would look after them for a week or two, and then the babies would be taken from them and adopted. And it's a big sort of scandal in the UK and in Ireland, indeed, at the moment. And I, I, that's the theme, the core theme of these books, of the mystery um, is placed around that thing. So before I even start writing, I have my direction of travel. And again, by using Craig Martell's technique of doing the beginning and the ending first, that even it confirms that direction of travel even more. It ties it down even more. Now that doesn't mean I can't change that last chapter. That chapter can be rewritten. It can be edited. I can add new detail. I can take some details away. But I know how that chapter is going to end. It will end like that. I just might have to change a few of the details by the time I get there. You can and you should tweak as you go along, definitely. I've got a list of main character names in my planning document. I always do the main character names, but I still mess it up. I'll tell you what I usually mess up. I had to write to Claire Cronter. I'd sent her the finished manuscript. And then I can't remember what made me realize it, but then I, I realized uh, or I'd forgotten to change it, that when, I, when I'm writing and I need a, a spare character, one that isn't planned, just a, just a bit park, actor you know I just need them in the script I just pluck a name from the air it's one that I hadn't planned for didn't know I needed but they might just be somebody that you have a word with in the street or something like that you know somebody just a bit part somebody that I haven't planned into the plot and I usually when I'm writing I just grasp those out of the air and I for some reason I have a tendency to use certain types of names or I seem to have a preference for certain names and in the the finished version I'd sent to Claire for the edit I realized I'd used the same name twice and I needed to tell Claire that I, normally I'd have just finished sorted it out after the edit 
uh, when the edit had come back. But I needed to tell Claire that because <laughs> otherwise she'd have should have thought it was some kind of clue I was dropping, some that the, the reader needed to get it, and it would have sent you up the wrong path really with the book. So I had to put that right. But I'm a devil with character names. I, I really I really try to plan out the main names. I have a grid. Um, an alphabetic grid for first names and last night names and when I'm doing the main characters I always make sure I don't have two names starting with the same letter or two surnames starting with the same letter it's only when I have to put a um, an unforeseen insert character into a book that's why I mess the names up when I veer off that list it's a mistake I keep on making maybe one of these days I'll stop making it so I got all that in a single Google document. And then what I do when I've done the chapter briefs, the sentences that I use for each chapter, I put those into my Scrivener document and I review them the day before I start writing. So I do a super review before I, the day before I start writing so that um, I always know exactly, well, I never know exactly what you're writing, but I know my direction of travel for each chapter. So today I wrote two chapters. I'd got the notes written for each chapter and if you listen to the audio diary I'll read those to you I'll tell you what I, what framework I'm, I'm working from and explain how I do that and uh, you know I know what I'm writing in each chapter so I know what the direction of tra travel is for each chapter I know what the direction of travel is for the whole book so you know, I, I have the first books I ever wrote I completely kind of pantsed I did get the structure right actually I didn't make too much of a pig's ear of it but I ever since really doing those the, the secret bunker I have pretty well planned but there's always this big argument about plotter or pantser well I do a combination of both I, you know I, I pants when I'm writing every day I'm pretty well pantsing that around a basic structure but I, I plot the whole story and I completely reserve the right to tweak to change to course correct throughout even though I've got a direction of travel if something suddenly occurred to me and I thought oh I can't do this or this is better I would course correct I'd change it I'm not slavish to my plan but it at least means that we've got the bare bones of a story there. And then as, again, as you'll hear in the author diary, I set my timer for an hour when I'm writing. Emails go off, phones go off, no notifications, doors are closed, I'm on my own. I do it usually when my wife's gone to work, so the house is completely quiet. And I get on and I write, and then I take a 15 minute break and I do it again, and I do it as many times as I'm doing it at the moment. At the moment, I'm writing three lots of 166 words Per day or that's what I will be writing from Monday so I did say in my new year goals uh, on the the first episode of the new year when I was sharing my quarter what is it quarter one 2023 goals with you I did say that I'm aiming to write on Monday Tuesday and Wednesday and I'm aiming to write 5,000 words per day because those are the days when my my wife is at work that is that's quite a daunting number f for me so I do actually have wriggle room with this book. I've got quite a lot of flexibility. If I do find that I'm struggling with that, that I'll switch to writing twice a week and doing 5,000 words per day. I'm hoping, to, I'm hoping, I really want to keep up to that three days a week, 5,000 words a day writing. Ho hopefully I'll be able to keep up with that. But I do have the wriggle room, if I find that too much, to go down to maybe writing a Monday and a, and a Wednesday and having a bit of a gap between the writing days. And I can still hit my delivery target of mid-April. So the first book, book one, was sent to Claire Cronshaw for editing before I went to Malaga. She's got that now, and that will be due back. I can't remember the date when it's due back. At end of January, I think that will be due back. And this book is booked in for mid-April. 
so I don't have to de deliver this book until mid-April. That's, that's lo loads of time, loads of time. I'll have it written really early if I can keep up to that three-day uh, writing, even with holiday breaks in between as well. So what I'm hoping to do, what I'd like to do, is write three days a week. I've got the Benidorm holiday coming up in four weeks' time, and then I'll, I'll have the bulk of it written by then, I hope. Uh, and I'm ahead of the game now because I wrote three chapters this week, which I wasn't planning to do. And then I'll go to Benidorm, finish the book, edit the book, send it to Claire before we go to Lisbon, and it'll be there in plenty of time for, for mid-April. But as you know, these books aren't getting released. The first one's not getting released till the 1st of October, so I've got loads of time with these. It, it's really not a stress to get those books out there. So there you go. I'm feeling ecstatic to have done all that writing this week. I'm particularly pleased to be three chapters ahead of where I thought I would be. I thought I was going to start writing on Monday. So I'll keep you updated with that. And just to reiterate, uh, give the audio diary a spin at the end of this podcast. See what you think of it. If you think that's useful and you'd like me to do that for the whole book, I'm happy to do it. But I quite like to get your feedback. I don't want to waste my time. Um, if, if it's no use to you whatsoever, let me know. But if it's handy, you know, let me know and I'll keep doing it if, if that gives you some insights. So let's go into some marketing news. I've got so much marketing stuff to share with you this week. It's going to be quite a long podcast, I'm afraid, but this is why I needed to get started. I'd said to you in one of the previous episodes that there was a new report out saying that the average author is earning £7,000 a year. And I told you that I'd earned several times that. I just wanted to give you further insight into that because uh, I can't remember what made me do it, but I was just doing a breakdown of some of my numbers. And I can tell you that my Morecambe Bay series alone is responsible for almost 50% of my book income last year. And from my Morecambe Bay series alone, I'm earning much, much, much more than that £7,000 figure. So from one series, I'm earning more, much more than the author's average each year. I was quite surprised at this, actually, because I hadn't looked at the figures like that for some time. So one series can earn me more, one series of nine books can earn me more than a traditional author does. Now, what can we draw from that? I've been telling you this for ages. All the reports tell you this. Write in series. <laughs> write in series. Um, and if you can't write in series, at least write in, in trilogies. So Morecambe Bay is made up of three trilogies. Uh, it's a series of nine books. So I can sell the books individually. I've got three box sets, one box set for each trilogy. I have a box set that sells really well, actually, which is books, sorry, which is trilogies one and two. And then I can reduce the price of that six pack of books and still sell uh, Trilogy 3 for full price. So I've created marketing maneuverability within that series. And of course, I have the nine pack of books there as well. But from one series alone, I earn more than a traditional author. And then if you put then, I, uh, I, I've got another package of books. Um, my Don't Tell Meg Trilogy, and my 12 pack of books, and remember that 12 pack sells at 99 cents, so it's selling for peanuts. Those two together also earn me more than a traditional author earns. Those two units. So that that is, don't tell Meg, one, two, and three, the standalones, the three pack, and the 12 pack. All those together last year earned me more than a traditional author earns in a year. 
not to make a big deal of it, but to look at what we could learn from it. And I think what you could learn from that is series, box set them up, box sets work really well. Obviously, I'm making that money from promos, from book bubs, all the usual things that I would be doing. But I think the most educational thing about that is a long series, one long series, like my Morecambe Bay series, can make you more than a traditional author does in a year. I find that fascinating. Nine books, nine books can do that. Now, if you are listening to 20 books to 50K, well, actually, that, that does suit 20 books to 50K, actually, doesn't it? It's it's along those lines. Now, I, I think I think the 50K from 20 books, uh, from my experience, is slightly harder than they make it sound. Uh, I have managed to do it, but I, I've, I've not managed to sustain it. But the principle is there, right in series, and it's easier to sell the books, and I think you'll make more money from that. I think that's pretty well accepted wisdom. I did warn you about this again in a previous episode, but you're going to be hearing this name a lot, Matthew J. Holmes. I'm very much immersed in his world and his training at the moment. So this is the, we'll have to christen this, the Matthew J. Holmes spot. Um, I've got quite a lot done since we got back from Malaga. I'm very pleased about that. I'll, I'll tell you about the holiday later because I want to keep the front end of this podcast focused on the writing and then you can switch off if you don't like the, the exercise bits and the audio diary bits and the personal bits. You can switch out of that. So I want to keep it front loaded as much as possible with, with writing stuff. So this week I have completed, fully completed, Matthew J. Holmes's Facebook Ads Academy training. Now, I want just to bring you up to date with this, I had done his Amazon training. There's a lot in there, a lot to do in there, heck of a lot to do. And I had set up the ads for Amazon as he advised, and there's a lot of stuff in there, for the UK, Australia, US, Canada. At first, I'd, I'd let them all loose, then realise how much money I was going to burn. It was just going to burn up money while I was testing. So I switched everything else off except in the UK. And I've been running those Amazon ads in the UK. And what I found that when I was writing and I was working at the university, I didn't have enough time to immerse myself uh, when I was fresh. I don't mean at the end of the day, but like at the beginning of the day when you're fresh, I didn't have enough time to immerse myself in, for me, what's the most difficult part of the Amazon training, which is the numbers of the analytics and the working out what's working and what's not. So what I did with it is I put it on hold. It was quite obvious uh, which ones were, were working and making money. And I've just let those run added a bit of extra budget to them, mindful of the fact that I need to come back to Matthew's training for Amazon and go through it with a fine tooth comb, particularly the analytics bit and the, you know, if an ad's not working, what you do with it. So that's been on park. Now I know that I can make more money more easily, more quickly using Facebook ads because I'm already using those. So for me, using Matthew's Facebook Ads Academy is literally bringing myself right up to date with best practice. So the last time I learned this stuff, I did Mark Dawson's course. That was probably two, maybe three years ago. That's where I learned what I know to date about Facebook ads. And for me, Matthew Holmes is bringing that right up to date. So I wanted to prioritize that first because I knew that would be easier for me. And then after putting the Facebook Ads Academy training into action, setting up a load of new Facebook ads. I'm coming back to Amazon. I'm going to go through the first videos again to just review what I'd set up in the first place. Then I'm going to go through the analytics and then do the tweaking and the strategy bit of it. So this week, I knew a lot of what Facebook Ads Academy has in it. I knew, I knew most of it, to be honest with you but it has clarified several areas which have changed or which I haven't 
brought my knowledge up to date with. So it was well worth me buying that training, even though I knew the core principles of how to set up an ad. If you don't know the core principles to set up an ad, you'll literally learn them in one video. The other thing that's happened since I learned Facebook ads is Amazon attribution links. And Matthew does a lot of work on Amazon attribution links as well. So mainly what I got from that training was dynamic creative in ads, how to best use the Amazon attribution links with your Facebook adverts. That was worth it alone. The best strategies when you're using text, retargeting. Now I desperately needed my retargeting up to date because the last time I did Facebook, we were using the Facebook pixel, which seems to be uh, deprecated. And, and I'm, I've kind of lost the plot a bit with retargeting and lookalike audiences, but Matthew did retargeting and lookalike audiences. And I got those building in the new way in the background. Now, as a result of that, I did it straight away, just followed the video. So that was good. And then also the key parameters and metrics to look for. So that's cost per click, click-through rate and ad frequency. Now, what I really like about Matthew is he gives you numbers. So somebody says, well, what should I be looking for with cost per click? What should I be looking for with click-through rate? What should I be looking for, for with ad frequency? He tells you specific numbers and specific ranges. And that's what I really like about his, his training. You know, don't just make me guess. Tell me, if you know, tell me, so that I know what I'm aiming for. So that's been really useful. So as I say, I knew how to set up an ad. And in fact, I can't remember which uh, episode it was. It was either the New Year or the Christmas episode. I shared with you a 14-part Twitter thread that Matthew had done on how to set up a Facebook ad. Look back at that if you want to know how to set up a Facebook ad because it's all in that Twitter thread. You don't have to buy the training. It's all in there. But the additional stuff is was in the training. Now, I've gone through every part of that training now, that Facebook training. I set up a couple of ads last night very quickly, a couple of ads that have worked well for me in the past. And then either today or over this weekend, I'm going to go through and set up a lot of Amazon, sorry, Facebook ads in the UK and uh, along the lines of what Matthew has recommended, using the audience strategies that he recommends, the text strategies that he recommends, everything he recommends, I'm going to test in Facebook ads. So that's my next bit of work, but I completed that training all through this week. Now, I, I had a look at my Amazon ads, and remember, I only let the ones run in the UK, and um, they're actually working okay in a, in a small way. You know, bearing in mind that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people into my reading infrastructure. So if you buy Left for Dead, for instance, which is the first part of my Morecambe Bay series, you could potentially go on to buy another eight books or you might buy one of the box sets or whatever. And they're very pro profitable for me. And the books are all set at full price at the moment because what I'm trying to crack is selling lots of books at full price. I know how to sell lots of books at a giveaway bargain basement price and, and, and clearly I've made some money from that in the past what I need to learn to make this more sustainable is to be able to sell books at the full price that's what I'm trying to do with all of this now I just give you some stats from my Amazon ads because I actually realized that I was in profit and I was getting a nice little uh, KENP read and I was making a, a decent number of sales so the stats on my Amazon ads are that my spend so far is £745.63. My sales are £711.19. My KENP 
reads are 36,897. So remember, this is just from Amazon's, not from not from my uh, Facebook ads. This is just from Amazon. And my royalties, my KENP royalties, those page reads are worth 119 pounds and 15 pence to me. My cost per click on average is 52 pence. Now, if that was Facebook, that would be way too high. But these are all full price books that I'm selling now. I could not do that on a 99p offer. I have to get my clicks way below that on Facebook for those to be profitable. But on Amazon, I could let it run at 52 pence. So in actual fact, my total profit is 84 pounds and 71 pence. So just to give you some more detail about those numbers, that is absorbed by experimental losses while I was experimenting. I've sold 115 units from that, and we've got 30, 37,000 or thereabout page reads. Now, that I need to do a lot better than that, and I need to scale that those budgets up. And, and as I say, I just put that on pause. I just left what, running what was working. But I was surprised to see that that's in profit, that we've sold 115 full, time, full price units, and that we've got a, a reasonable page read there, 37,000 page reads from that i'm not unhappy with those figures those are better figures than i've ever had from amazon and i haven't even started to dig in yet all i've done is i've i've just put what matthew said or advised in place i've switched off the ones that were quite clearly making a loss and that needed me to to give some attention to and to give them some attention i need to work through the rest of the training properly and i just left the ones that were immediately at profit running and those are the numbers that I've got. So I'm not at all unhappy with it. I find that very encouraging. It's great to have sold those at full price as well. And of course, the other things that I've achieved from this, which I'm very happy about, which I think I told you about either over the Christmas or the New Year episodes, because I recorded so many episodes before Christmas, I've forgotten which one was which. Uh, but what I'm particularly uh, happy about with that is that Joy Ellis, who is, I think she's Joffa Books, She's, if she's not the best-selling author, she's one of the best-selling, most successful authors. She appears in my also boards, as does Rachel McLean, who was, la I think she was last year's Amazon uh, storyteller, uh, whatever the award is, whatever they call it. She was their storyteller award winner, and she's a really big seller on Amazon, and she sells mainly through, I'm pretty sure it's Amazon ads. So I've got those in my also boards. So already, with just a, a little bit of lightweight use of what Matthew's teaching, I have managed to change things for the positive with my Amazon ad. So I want to put the Facebook learning in place first because I know I, I know that better. It's going to be a lot easier for me to have uh, to see spot success and build success on Facebook ads. Then I'm coming back to the Amazon ads. I'm going to redo the training I've already done just to make sure I've got the right kind of ads in place and just to remind myself what I did. Then I'm going to go through. I've got loads of data on those adverts now because I didn't stop them. I just paused the ones that weren't profitable. And I'm going to go through that data and work out what I need to do to tweak it, to, to get rid of things that aren't working, to build on things that are working, and hopefully to get that Amazon advertising technique firing for me on all cylinders. So you know, 2023, from a marketing point of view, it's always about getting book bubs. You know, I'm still doing book bubs, but it's about getting the Facebook advertising going. What I, I know I can 
sell at bargain basement on Facebook, but I really want to start selling more at full price. So that's the pain I'm going to go through with Facebook this year. I've got to start selling at full price. And then also that I've got to crack Amazon ads. So in this next 25 episodes, as well as me delving into the writing step by step by step, I'm going to be delving and giving as much detail about those adverts as I possibly can. But it's really working well for me, the Matthew J. Holmes training. And I did say this was the Matthew J. Holmes spot. Look, you don't have to buy the training. You don't, you know, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. But uh, please at least follow him on Twitter and please at least get his emails. He's reduced the frequency of his emails, which I think is fair enough. He was sending them every, sending them every day. But they're brilliant emails when he sends them out. And his Twitter threads are great too. I've already recommended the how to set up a Facebook ad Twitter thread. I'm going to add two more to the show notes this week. Two more Matthew J. Holmes Twitter threads. The first one is seven simple steps to dramatically improve the performance of your Amazon ads and sell more books. That's one of these Twitter threads where you just follow the thread through and it gives you all the information. And I'm going to share another thread from Matthew, which is the five most effective marketing strategies. And I will put the links to those on the show notes. Look, listen, please. You don't have to buy the training. I understand that it might be too expensive, not what you're ready for now. Please follow Matthew on Twitter, sign up to his newsletter. That's all free stuff. He's sharing a ton of great marketing stuff for free. You know, please at least do that. If you take one thing away from all of this, uh, you know, be ranting and enthusing about this, do get the free stuff. Get into his world and start receiving his tips because they're great and they will help you. Okay, continuing with marketing stuff now, MailerLite. You'd, <laughs> you heard me ranting about MailerLite and saying that they've changed the system, they want me to pay more and things like that. And I, I'm stuck with this. It's really annoying, isn't it? It's just really annoying, this stuff. So what I've decided to do with MailerLite is I have upgraded at the old price with the old system for another year. Now, the reason for this is I didn't tell you this in the last in the last objective setting episodes I dropped that I, I want to, whether I will or not, but I want to start sending monthly emails to my list. I've got a launch coming at the end of this year, so it makes sense from a marketing point of view that I get on with it. Just get on with it, Paul, and build your list. So I want to build my email marketing list this year. That's the aspiration. And so what I'm aiming to do, bearing in mind this all makes perfect sense because I've got a launch coming up from October, that I build my list over this year and that I start communicating with my with my existing list already. So I want to send an email every month of this year. That's the aim. So I needed to make a decision about MailerLite with this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a bit of brinkmanship with this is they've told us that we can stay in the old MailerLite system and they're not going to chuck us off it. So what I've done is I've upgraded for a year at the old price. I'm going to make them force me into the new system. I'll only go voluntarily if they factor me into the new system at the same price I'm paying. All right. Now, I'm happy if they just let me join it at the same price and then they and I have to pay a new price when I renew. That's fine. I'm OK with that. But I'm not going to pay to get the new system. I, I expect them to fact to let me factor in on the price I've paid to the new system. And then if the price goes up from the next renewal, I'm happy with that. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But I'm not paying more to be able to see and test the new system because the new system might not like it. So that, that's why I'm objecting to that. So I've upgraded for a year. I've got a year on MailerLite, old price, old system, which I'm quite happy with. And I'm going to make them force me into the new system. So I'm just going to carry on using MailerLite as I was until 
we come to this brinkmanship point where they say you've got to go or we're shutting you down or we're going to offer you a deal to move over we're so desperate to get people it's like those people who um, have houses where they want to knock down an estate for instance isn't it and they want to build new houses there and there's one person holding out and saying i'm not going i'm not going that's what i'm like with mailer like i'm going to make them do that to me they're either going to have to swing the deal so that i go uh, you know they just say look just switch over you won't have to pay anymore and, uh, unless your renewal comes up just go please just go that's what that's the game i'm playing with that but in the meantime, I'm just going to carry on as normal. And, I, and I've, I've got a year on. I mean, they did say they're not going to pu push us out, but I know they will. They'll, they'll want us all out of that old system eventually. And they'll, they'll want to build their new estate. So we'll become quite annoying to us, those who don't go voluntarily. But let's see how they swing the deal as they get more desperate. So the long and short of that is using MailerLite, using the old version of MailerLite, not going to the new one just yet. I'm not ready. I've got too many things. I'm not ready to change email system just yet. I, I can't face it at the moment. I've got too many other things on. Uh, you know, I might, I might be ready when the books are written and I'm on top of that, but not at the moment. I can't take a full whole scale change of email system. And I'm aiming to get one email done at the end of each month. So I'll let you know What's the date now? Oh, I've got two weeks to go till I have to confront that demon. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you the format that I'm using and how I'm going to do that when we get there. But I, I really, you know, this is a great year for me to get that email marketing list going again because I'm going to be launching books in October, November, December. It's a great way for me to sell, well, to communicate that I'm writing the new books and they're coming to existing subscribers. But it's also a great opportunity for me to get some new subscribers in there. So I really need to do that here's a really interesting thing now i can't remember i have mentioned this to you but i can't remember how long ago it was i mentioned some time to you ago that the ingram spark group ingram content group they're they're they've got a new advertiser new advertising option coming up and i'd spotted this i you know it come up in twitter or something like that i'd spotted it and i diaried it and thought keep checking this keep checking this and it's there and i've used it uh, or i am using it it's Ingram Content Group. They've got a new advertising option. I've been inside it this week looking at it. Uh, and basically, they allow you to use Google Display Ads, Google Search Ads, Facebook Ads, and Amazon Ads. And you can send those ads directly to audiences that they have built. And those audiences are really beautiful, actually. They're, they're really detailed. So um, depending on the genre that you write in, you're almost bound to see an audience that you could target there that is specifically your genre there were two audiences there that were specifically my genre now what i've done in the first instance is i've set up a test a one-week test for google display ads google search ads and it's costing me for the week 79 pound 42. now i'm expecting to write off that money entirely just for a test but I want, I really want to try it. Now I'm struggling to get my head around it a little bit because there's a few questions I've got. For instance, you've got Ingram Spark audiences there, but it doesn't tell you whether they're UK, US, it doesn't tell you what territory they're in. So my immediate response was, okay, well, I'll put a link into my Amazon pages. That's, and I want them to go to my Amazon books. And then I thought, well, hang on, I can't do that because I need to know what country those customers are. And then I thought it through a little bit. And I thought, well, I think they're going to be, they're going to be mixed customers they've got to be mixed customers surely so really that's a little bit disappointing in that just like google display ads and google search ads i'm not going to be able to send them to a third-party platform i'm going to have to send them to my website i think and then on my website i've got geo links so that if you if you click on if you go to buy left for dead on my paulteague.net website it goes to a books to read link and it will take you to your 
Amazon site where you live. That's what I've settled for. So it's not perfect. Uh, and also I had, I had problems. Uh, I, I got the ads all set up. I'd started working on them on Tuesday, whenever it was, I, I started working on them. Then I came back to it yesterday and submitted and very annoyingly, because the date, the start date was the, the, the 11th, I think I'd set it as, and the, the, the system is not advanced enough yet to just to say, oh, that you can't advertise for a past date. So it let me pay for the adverts, submit them for review, and then it review it said, hard luck, we can't do these ads because they've, they've already started. You know, the start date was set for the 11th and it's now the 12th or whatever it was. And so that was really glitchy. And also it was really glitchy when I tried to pay originally, it was glitchy because it wouldn't take my UK postcode. I, I raised a help ticket with that. Now I found a way of, of getting around that system. It, it says it needs a five digit US postcode, zip code as they call them. But I just put my UK postcode and it let me do it even though it said that. So it's very glitchy at the moment. I've just paid £79.42 for two adverts that it's told me I can't have. So I don't know how I'm going to get that money back or whether that's going to be credit. So that's something else I'm going to have to work at at the weekend. So at the moment, I've paid 79.42. I have got my ads ready and submitted. It, the, the system was a bit basic and it wouldn't let me, it wouldn't just say, look, you can't submit an ad for a date that's already passed. Please adjust the ad. It won't let me adjust the ad. So I'm going to have to figure out, number one, how I access that credit for the ads. And then I'm going to have to work out whether I can list the existing ad or whether it's going to force me to just list it all over again. So it's glitchy, but I would have a look at it if I were you. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I've said to you before that I've always felt that there was something to play for on Google Display Ads and Google Search Ads. This time I'm, I'm being able, when I use Ingram Sparks Audience, I'm sending my advert to a beautifully honed audience of readers that Ingram Spark have created. Now, that's very interesting to me. So I want to give this a try. Even if I write off a couple of hundred pounds testing it, I want to test this. So I have put the web link on the show notes. It's the Ingram Content Group. And I've put the, the, the link to this advertising platform in the show notes if you want to give it a try but I'll let you know how that goes. As I say, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to write off a couple of hundred pounds testing that. I, my, my gut tells me it probably won't work, but I've got to give it a try. I want to be in at the beginning with this and give it a try and test it. But I'll, I'll let you know on subsequent episodes how this goes. Okay, other writing-related news this week. Um, I've got a few links to share. I'm not going to go into them in any detail, but they're just things I've spotted along the way this week. Um, BookBub had a blog post this week, the top 10 tips to get a featured deal. I want to share that with you. So I'll put that on the show notes this week to save you hunting for it if you don't receive those blog posts. Um, I had another BookBub knockback this week. I'm in a real drought at the moment, actually. I'm, you know, I'm constantly, the minute I get rejected, I put another book in. Uh, I just keep going, 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 keep putting my books in but I haven't had a book bub for ages or for sorry it feels like for ages but I just keep you know throwing myself back in the ring and hoping that I'll get one eventually uh you know I'm doing first in series box sets uh the 12 pack I'd love I'd love them to do that 12 pack I wish they would um, I really wish they would uh, promote that 12 pack because I think that'll that'll in terms of page reads I won't make any money from it but in terms of page reads I think that will go really well if I get that on a BookBub promo, but they will not take it for some reason. It's very unfortunate. So yeah, I, I'm not getting BookBubs. That that blog post came at a good time. 10 tips to get a BookBub featured deal. It's on the show notes this week. Also another from BookBub. I, I, I did say to you 
um, or I have recommended in the past that you check out their blog. It's very good. Uh, they've also got a article called Goals for the New Year, Ideas and Advice from 52 Authors. You know, so we can't knock that that, can we? So again, I'll put the link to that on this week's show notes to save you hunting for it. I attended this week a Sophie Hanna Cambridge University webinar and um, this was what she calls she, you know I'm applying for this master's whatever it is MLIT whatever whatever it is uh, course at the University of Cambridge uh, I haven't even been interviewed for it yet I haven't even got to that stage yet I don't think they do anything with this until February or March so I'm just in a in a big pile of applications at the moment but to warm up the audience for this Sophie does three webinars to people who are interested they advertise the webinars on the application page for the course and uh, it was the second webinar this week and it's something she calls the knocky draft approach to writing the knocky so knocky is in the food knocky that's that's what it is uh, and, and it really it just refers to her outlining methods for books so I uh, I'm obviously attending the webinars you know they're free it's Sophie I, I've already told you that I'm part of Sophie's uh, Dream Author Academy so I'm already familiar with this knocky draft she talks about it in her in her Dream Author Academy, Dream Author Academy. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with it but I sat through I've never actually drilled right down into what this technique uses and it's pretty well um, the same technique that I use uh, in, in that she just outlines her her method now this webinar replay is sort of publicly available so I'll share it for you on the show notes this week. Um, I, I got the replay link. I don't, it's no sort of great secret. It's a public facing webinar. So I'll share the webinar replay link for you on the show notes this week. But um, basically it's how Sophie Hanna, who's a best-selling author, she writes the Poirot books now. It talks about how she outlines her books. Now, I can't remember. I don't think it was in that webinar. I think it might've been in a Dream Author uh, Academy webinar replay that I got this week because I'm a member of that group but um, in one of those Sophie says that she's she's just writing the latest Poirot and I think she's looking at something like 80,000 words and she, she had written to 110,000 words and she was explaining how she in her edit obviously she was having to reduce those words massively and she was explaining how she um, said stuff twice put stuff in there that didn't need to be in there I was quite I was quite surprised actually to hear a an author as established and best-selling as she is saying that she overwrites by 30,000 words I've just told you today I'm very meticulous with my word count you know I will be on my word count throughout that book making sure that I don't overwrite or underwrite so I'm in control of the words as I go along all the all the time um, to make sure I don't vastly overshoot or vastly undershoot so I, I'm really looking at you know plus or minus 500 words uh, when I write to 75,000 words and I found it really quite surprising to hear that you know such an established author overwrites by that much now that might be my journalistic discipline I've spent my life writing briefly uh, writing the number of words that I need to write you know writing to to deadlines and tight limitations so that might be a discipline that I take for granted but that that just surprised me you know it, does, it comes without judgment because I would love to be selling as many books as Sophie is uh, and you know having the success that she's had so I ain't gonna knock anybody's technique I don't care how you get there she clearly gets there in the end but it, it just it just surprised me that such an established writer was overwriting by as many as 30,000 words that was all so um I don't think she says it in the webinar that I'm giving you the link for. I think it's in stuff that I can't share with you, stuff that's behind a kind of paywall. So anyhow, um, if you're writing 
If you're interested in this knocky draft method to getting your book written, it's about an hour long webinar and uh, I'll share it on the show notes with you. Something else I want to share on the show notes with you is from Dave Chesson. Uh, Dave has written an article about when your Amazon account gets suspended. I've already shared one of these with you uh, from the Alliance of Independent Authors, but, uh, but you need to read both of those articles. They've both got advice on what to do when your account gets suspended. Again, I'm not gonna say anything about that other than to share that on the show notes, because to me, that's quite an important page that you want to have handy. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you'll know how I've struggled to get Amazon ads working at any kind of scale. Usually I set up an auto-targeting campaign, I stick on a budget of $5, cross my fingers and hope for the best. I've tried so many Amazon ad books and courses too, talk about kissing a lot of frogs. That changed when I discovered Amazon Ads Academy, which is produced by Matthew J. Holmes. It's a recent discovery by me. Matt's training is quite simply the best, the clearest, and the most sensible that I've come across to date. His methodical step-by-step videos and simple explanations suddenly made Amazon ads make complete sense to me. I finally got profitable ads running, I'm scaling them up, and I've got a clear pathway ahead. Matt also sends out the best value, information-packed emails that I've ever come across. Seriously, they're so good, I've saved them all up so I can work through them and action all the great tips that they contain. It's like having a book in email form. And if that wasn't enough, Matt also has a Facebook marketing course which applies his ninja marketing skills to that lucrative platform. I've bought that one too. In my opinion, Matt's training leaves everybody else's in the dirt and I'd urge you to check him out. My affiliate link is paulteague.net slash AA. You don't pay anything extra if you buy via that link, I just receive a small commission for the referral. At the very least, please subscribe to Matt's emails, they're excellent. You can check out his work right now at paulteague.net slash AA. I'm sure you won't regret it. I mentioned earlier that I've got one edit going on. I've got the next deadline for April, but I also booked my third edit for June. What I like about uh, Claire Cronshaw is she communicates really well on social media, uh, particularly LinkedIn. In fact, in actual fact, if you do any kind of non-fiction business, uh, Claire's a really good example of great LinkedIn marketing, but she she lets people know on LinkedIn where she's up to with her bookings. So I've been spotting these bookings on LinkedIn thinking, oh crikey, I'm going to have to commit to this sooner than I wanted to. But anyhow, I've booked in now. I've got paid deposits on three edits. The reason that I like to leave it as long as possible is, you know, in case something holds me up or there's a delay in the book, but it does focus your mind. It's the first time I've done it like that, where I've paid a 50% deposit on an edit, you know, before I've even handed over a manuscript and then set the delivery date for that. But I must admit, I really like it because it gives you really tight deadlines and it really focuses your mind on when that book's going to be ready and you're going to have had time to edit it. So I've now booked in, one's being edited, next one's due mid-April, and then the third book has to be delivered by the 11th of June. And I'm hoping that this year or this first half year is going to come to a beautiful crescendo in which I finish book three, hand it to Claire, and then I go to self-publishing, what is it called? Self-publishing, whatever it is, live. So SPS, what's the S for? I've forgotten, SPS Live in London. And then that'll be that kind of half year taken care of. And then I can figure out what's coming up next once that book is all ready. And then regardless of what happens next, I'm going to have three books to release by the end of the year anyway. 
So all the edits are booked in, 50% paid on each edit, and then I pay the balance uh, on delivery of the edited book. So, um, so Claire's working through that at the moment, and we'll wait to see what comes back in a couple of weeks. Lots of uh, comments from everybody. I've had some really great uh, response from people, you know, listening to the podcast again. Uh, great to hear from Claire Sager. Uh, Claire says, getting to hear Paul Teague while I did the washing up was a great Christmas treat. Awesome to catch up, Paul. And your mum sounds ruthless at Scrabble. Yeah, you believe that, Claire. She's deadly at Scrabble. Um, as I said to you, we're going to Benidorm in February. And I knew, I knew somewhere, because when I'd been on holiday with mum before, we'd got a travel Scrabble set. We were trying to work out who had the travel Scrabble. Well, mum's got the travel Scrabble. She dug it out of the cupboard the other day. So she's she's set that aside to take to Benidorm. So there will be Scrabble on the beach, no doubt, in Benidorm. So uh, thanks ever so much for that, Claire. Uh, appreciate you listening. And um, Claire's worth checking out. Claire has done an amazing launch on... What's it called? Kickstarter, what everybody does. She did an amazing launch on Kickstarter, which I followed on um, Instagram. And it's well worth checking out what Claire's up to. Uh, she did a brilliant job of it. I, so I wouldn't have the confidence to do something like that. I wouldn't dare do a Kickstarter. Um, but Claire did a really brilliant job and got overfunded on it. It was remarkable, doing some beautiful stuff. So well worth checking out Claire on Instagram. And you'll, if you scroll back a little bit, you'll see what she did with her Kickstarter. Just wanted to mention that I'm now using uh, an AI tool called Descript to edit this podcast. Now, this is one of these tools where I can drop the audio in and then I can say to it, remove all the ums and it will go and it will automatically remove all the ums. Now, I haven't I'm not going to use it on this episode, but I did use it on the Christmas episodes. So every now and then, just while I'm getting used to this, you might hear an edit that's just a little bit sharper that it would normally be hopefully when i edit it myself you won't normally hear the edits i hope but but with this descript i think it's just a little bit sharp sometimes on the edits it cuts it a little bit fine so as a human being you'd say actually that's a tight edit i'm, I'm just going to leave the um in there descript will just remove the lot so so while i'm learning how to use that piece of software just bear with me because you might hear the odd sharp or dodgy edit that you wouldn't normally get but i'm hoping to get better at it over the course of the next 25 weeks again this is another thing that i want to do over the next 25 weeks of these podcasts is try and remove a lot of my doddery stuff if i can and um, get to, to grips with this new software because it's an amazing bit of kit I wish I had access to it when I was uh, broadcasting. But the other thing is it makes audiograms and it allows me to train the AI uh, to use my voice for an overdub. So if I said the number five and I meant the number four, in theory, I could edit out the, me saying five and I could insert the number four using my AI voice. Now that's, that's quite incredible stuff. Now, clearly I need to sit through, do tutorials and learn how to use it. I have no time to do that at the moment. So I, I'm kind of using it in a brute force kind of way. So if you do hear the odd edit in this podcast that sounds, oh, that's a sound a little bit sharp there, uh, that it's because I'm using Descript at the moment. Hopefully, well, I'll either get better at it or I'll, I'll abandon it, but it is a little project I'm going to have ticket along throughout these next 25 episodes is to use it, hopefully get better at it and decide whether I want to stick with it or not. I've got another AI thread for you that I found fascinating. It's all about um, AI artwork. It's a Twitter thread. I love these Twitter threads. It works really well for me when people do a whole sort of sequence of, of teaching or comment. Um, and, and, you know, Twitter could be a terrible place, but I have to say a lot of the time it could also be still be 
quite a brilliant place. And, and I love these threads. I get real, a lot of people are doing them now. I get great value from them. So this, this Twitter thread is 17 tools and tricks I use, not me, the author, um, I use the most to generate impressive images with AI. So I'll put the link to that on the show notes. And also another thing that I thought you might be interested in, which is a Pixar storytelling thread, how Pixar um, tell stories, the key components of their stories. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of stuff online that I, I think is interesting. I read it through. And if I think it'll interest you, uh, then I just pop it on the show notes and you can you know, take it or leave it. If you, if you find it interesting, check it out. But that's a Pixar storytelling thread. It's a Twitter thread. All you do is you click on the link I give you and then you'll see, if you're not familiar with Twitter, you'll just see uh, a sequence of, of tweets all linked together um, that tell a story or take you through a sequence of steps. But I think they're marvellous. I love them. So I'll put those both on the show notes for you. I had a lovely message from Desmond G. Palmer on the blog. Now, Desmond, I did email you to say, can I have permission to publish this? But because it didn't come as an email, it came as a blog comment, so it's public anyway. I've taken the liberty of just um, praising what you wrote to me. Um, but it was, it was a lovely... Uh, message and uh, I, re I really appreciate it and I've never spoken to Desmond before so it's really lovely to get a message like this and what I'll do is I'll, I'll just summarize it but if you look at the if you look at the podcast comments it was a, a week or two ago that I got this you'll see it in the comments uh, on the blog at uh, what is it called selfpublishingjourneys.com if you have a look at the uh, show notes you'll see it written in full there but let me give you the gist of it here um, hello I've been following you now for a few years as a, a burgeoning author myself, listening to you go uh, through the ups and downs of the business has been very valuable. So when the podcast went into semi-retirement, I left the feed open. I kind of had the feeling that you would be back because new things are always coming along, it seems. So uh, Desmond is, a, is an author, started out writing YA fantasy uh, and a trilogy. It originally planned to do nine books consisting of three trilogies, very much like I did with the with the Walker Bay series. But here's, here's a phrase that I can really identify with. He says, I kind of lost my way a bit and I may go back to it one day. I think a lot of the times when we're indie authors, we often kind of lose our way a bit. I think that's a really good way of describing it. I've kind of lost my way a lot of times. You'll have heard it on this podcast. And I had a big kind of losing my way when we came back from Spain. Um, I just wasn't really sure what was going to happen next with it. So I think that's a really good phrase. Well, Desmond now writes archaeological thrillers and, um, you know, they're sort of archaeological action, action adventure. Now, I, I always think Indiana Jones. I don't know whether that's. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, Desmond has said it here. Indiana Jones, Lara Croft, that kind of thing, which, you know, which I love that kind of stuff. So it's been a good switch for Desmond. He says, I got a first UK number one in the free store, which is brilliant. It all starts from there, Desmond. It starts with a number one in the free store. That's how I started. You get that to number one and then you want a little bit more than that. You want it to get higher in the paid store. He's got a, an international book bub deal. Uh, got the first book to, uh, with a bestseller tag in two categories. The second book in the series is out, completed the third, started the fourth. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And he's aiming to release uh, books three, four and five next summer. So, you know, this is exactly what I've said to you. Write a series, write a series. And, and it's much easier to sell. It's much easier with book bubs. It's much easier to market. So, so good for you with that, Desmond. That's great to hear. And he's going to try and get another uh, book bub again too. So, um, he wanted to say, though, I wanted to reach out and welcome you back and point out a few things. 
you think of yourself as a medium level author making around £2,000 or, or thereabouts a month. The funny thing is that's the level I'm currently aiming for. At the moment I work full time on the London Underground earning around £2,300. Uh, that'll be a month I assume. Ideally I want to take early retirement in three years at 50 if I can make the equivalent in book sales. If not I should at least be able to go part time and then retire at 55. Now and that I think that's really important. This is why I wanted to read this Desmond because you know I could be there saying you know and I said this that it, it's only because I compare it with what I made in corporate life I could be there bemoaning the fact oh it, it's it's just two thousand pounds a month and for some for some people depending on you know what you do for a living and things like that two thousand pound a month is all some people need and in Desmond's case that's all Desmond needs to take retirement in three years at 50 and wouldn't that be remarkable if you could do that writing books and he's well on his way, you know, he's, he's, he's well on his way to book five. He's going to have a series. And I just said to you that earlier in this podcast, I'm earning more than the traditional author just from a series of nine books. And, you know, I'm not doing brilliantly. We all know authors who are doing way better than that, earning way more than that with their books. So this is very possible. And most people, I've said this before too, most people don't need to earn 100,000 a year or 200,000 a year, you know, or a millionaire. They don't need to earn that. For most of us, we don't really need very much to achieve our goals. Now, of course, we'd love to earn 100,000, you know, a month from our books and things like that. We'd all love to be at that. Of course we would. But we don't have to, to for writing to make a difference in our lives. So I, I just wanted to share that story with you because I think it's really important. And for Desmond you know, wanting to retire at the age of 55, that's brilliant. And he can really do that. That's a realistic, completely realistic timescale. If he just follows the plot, which is to write the series, market the books, you know, that's all you've got to do. That's the plot. He finishes by saying, I know we look up to the likes of Mark Dawson, Joanna Penn, but they also have nonfiction books. Joanna used to do public speaking. Uh, Mark Dawson has money coming in from many different sources. And then people like LJ Ross and Lindsay Baroka seem to make their money purely from their books and the voracious appetite of their fan base. But those two are like unicorns. So I've set my sights on emulating you, Paul, uh, which is which is amazing. You know, and, and, and again, I, you know, I have to get this into context when I feel like a failure because I'm comparing this with what I did in my corporate life when I look at it in terms of what I just said to you earlier in the podcast that you know my Morgan Bay series makes more than the average traditional author does and my, and my Don't Tell Meg and my 12 pack also makes more than that as you know as separate units then I, I know that at a certain level I uh, that's that's very successful and for many people that would be absolutely fine and that many people who listen to this like Desmond that's the target that's all the target they need to change their life. So please don't think I'm being dismissive when I talk about those amounts. You know, I know I know in my moments of celebration that that's great, but I'm hungry and I want more more than that. And you know, you probably picked that up through the podcast. I, I want more than that. For me to feel intrinsically like a success with my writing, I need to do more than that. Desmond signs off by saying, maybe I'll see you at SPF Live next year. If you're there, Desmond, I'm booking you in for lunch or a drink, a coffee or whatever. Let's meet. I'd love to meet you. And thanks ever so much for reaching out on the podcast. 
somebody else got in contact who's been in, in contact with the show before is Ron Vitale. And Ron said, thank you for taking the time to share your review of 2022. I always learn something new by listening to your podcast. I missed the podcast, but understand you have other work to do. Although I'm not at the same level as you, I did want to share with you my own 2022 wrap up. Now, Ron, I think you've done this every year, Ron, haven't you? Because you've shared a few of these with me. Ron does a kind of a what I learned over the year, every year. And I've shared a few of these with you in the past. And I'll put this on the show notes. This is Ron's uh, summary of how 2022 uh, went for him and what he's doing in his writing career now. And, and Ron, you know, he's very typical of, of most of the people who'll be listening to this podcast. We're, we're, we're muddling through, we're doing the best we can. We're making some money, but probably not as much money as we would like to make. Uh, and, and that's why Ron's blogs are really interesting to read. So I'll put that on the show notes. Ron goes on to say, uh, writing's my side gig, gig, but I'm happy with that. Uh, uh, you know, how, and 2022 was difficult. It did pull in a small profit. Hearing you mention that many professional writers bring in £7,000 a year. I'm not there yet, but I continue to work hard to produce the highest quality books that I can. And Ron's doing the same thing, writing the books, trying to create the series. Ron also is a runner. Uh, as for running, he says, great to hear your stories on running. Friends of mine introduced me to running about 15 years ago. Well done, Ron, if you've kept it for that, you know, kept it up for that long. And I went from only having run a kilometre to running, wait for it, three marathons from a kilometre, that first kilometre, which is so hard when you haven't run before, to three marathons. Now, having run as you'd have heard in my updates, an accidental half marathon and knowing how much I creaked and groaned the next day, Ron. I'm, you know, I'm in awe of your three marathons. Congratulations. Ron says, I may not be fast, but I'm also running for enjoyment and exercise. I'm not looking for speed records. And I've said this to you before with running. There's a lot of lessons in running uh, as there are with writing. And you may not be fast when you're running, but you're in the race and you will finish. And it's the same with writing. You might not be fast, you might not be at the front, but you're in the race and you'll reach the end if you keep going. So I, I always think when I'm running around, there's a lot of lessons about writing in this. Ron finishes by saying again, great to hear from you. I wish you and your, happy, uh, your family a happy 2023. Thank you, Ron. And the same to you. And Ron also sent me, this is, this is why I love doing this podcast. This is why I've missed it. You get all these lovely letters from people. But also, Ron sent me some brilliant links to help me with my DJ work. He sent me some brilliant files. You heard me say that I'd had to rip the files and get them relicensed and things. Well, Ron sent me some brilliant stuff, which I've never seen before. And Ron, I've been using it. It's great. Thanks ever so much for sending those over. But, you know, it's amazing. This is a writing podcast. I'm talking about running and DJing. And I still get brilliant information and feedback back from that. So thank you very much for that. Here's another comment that came flooding in. Lucy Branch got in contact, said, Happy New Year, Paul. Looking forward to the 2023 episodes. You might like to know that my primary goal in 2023 is to increase my word count, inspired by your method of carving out an undisturbed block of time. I won't make 15K words a week. I'm not sure whether I'm going to yet, Lucy. Uh, I won't make 15K words a week, but I'd be satisfied with 3K. I imagine it can't be just me who has goals inspired by your podcast content. Well, um, you writing that, Lucy, was one of the reasons that I decided to do the author diary at the end of the podcast, because 
I know in your comment there, you say, I won't make 15K a week, I make 3K. And that's why I felt it might be useful for me to share in close up detail what goes on in those writing blocks, those undisturbed blocks of time. So you hear how I prepare and how I make sure that I make that time work for me. So I hope that's going to be useful. Remember, that's coming at the end of the podcast. Now, I've got a little bit out of sync with my episodes because I recorded the tools and tips episode that you're going to hear after this uh this diary you're going to hear that 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 was recorded a couple of weeks ago and then next week you're going to hear episode three of the tools and tips which i recorded a couple of weeks ago too and i had to make an edit in i think it was episode three because something changed and i had to remove the piece of software and, and i'm going to update you on it this week so although you won't hear the episode that this would have been in until i think it's next week to tell you about it this week so I'm a, I'm a little bit all over the place with time frames at the moment and time hopping but this is about LastPass one of the security tools I was going to recommend to you is LastPass which I've recommended uh, for a long time uh, for password management and LastPass for many years now has allowed me to securely store my passwords and also I can share them with my family members if it's if it's sort of access to sites that I would want them to have access to if I got knocked down by a bus, I could also share those passwords with them securely. And that's what I've done. And pass, um, LastPass has had a security breach in the past, but when they had that security breach, they let us all know immediately. They, they locked our master passwords and forced us to change them. And I was happy with the way they managed that. Now, it's all change, I'm afraid, with LastPass. And interestingly, I heard Rich Casey referring to this in the New Author podcast in the last episode. LastPass has had a data breach and they haven't managed it very well at all. I think the data breach goes right back to August uh, 2022 and they've been not forthcoming on the nature of the data breach and data breach and the, the sort of consequences of that. So with a great sigh, I'm going to have to probably change my LastPass. Now, it gets a little bit technical about what they what the hackers may have got access to and what they may not have got access to and whether you're vulnerable and I don't think reading the numerous articles I've read on this that I'm immediately vulnerable but what I did do and what I have done is I've now changed my master password on LastPass to something very secure and as a precaution I changed all the passwords on my banking so if if I would cry a river if they accessed usually money things frankly if they got into anything money related then i've got in and changed the passwords on that so i shouldn't touching wood of my desk here i should be okay with that now interestingly a couple of months ago and i don't know whether i told you this a couple of months ago i don't know what it was but i started experimenting with a different program called bitwarden which is an open source password management software. There are many password management softwares. I used to use something called RoboForm many years ago before uh, LastPass. And uh, you know, when, uh, you always have to remember the way that these things emerge, that at the time I'd started using RoboForm, which was the best thing for my purposes at the time, LastPass came on and it superseded RoboForm. And since LastPass came along, there are now many other password management tools that are like LastPass but as I've learned this week are more secure than LastPass so I'd been playing around with Bitwarden um, a couple of months ago and I'd actually transferred all my passwords into it and it was fine but I just decided that there wasn't a big enough uh, difference between LastPass and Bitwarden for to force the change well now we've had this big hack 
I, it's going to force a change, I think. I'm going to have to move out of LastPass. I'm going to have to go through the tedium of changing all my passwords. Now, when I looked at Bitwarden a couple of months ago, I had, I had gone through the LastPass security system where it flags if you've got duplicate passwords. And I'd systematically gone through all my passwords. I had deleted my use, my accounts on sites that I no longer used. And I had changed every single password on sites that I was still using to unique passwords and very complicated passwords too. So I'd had a complete security audit before this breach happened. And I'd looked at Bitwarden as part of that. Now, what I think I'm gonna probably do now, and again, I'm writing at the moment, I'm very busy. So I don't have the, don't have the time for it at the moment but I'm gonna to need to move into, into Bitwarden. So I've done some emergency triage and changed the, the passwords that would make me cry if somebody were to hack into them. And then I think in the long, well, short to medium term, I'm gonna to need to get on with it really. In the short to medium term, I'm going to need to move over to, well, Bit, Bitwarden is the one I've chosen. It's an open source software. I've paid for it for personal use. It allows me to do everything that LastPass did. But reading the articles, which I'm gonna share with you on the show notes this week, uh, it looks like Bitwarden is, is a more secure option. So I, I've, I've read a, a number of articles and as I've been reading these articles, I've just made a note of them in my show notes. I'm not gonna share them with you now, but if you do have LastPass and you are concerned whether you're vulnerable from the hack, I've put how many articles? One, two, three, four, five. Five really interesting articles uh, about uh, the LastPass hack, what it might mean for you, but also, um, what you might replace it with. Um, so have a look at that. I think it's probably going to be Bitwarden for me. I was interested to hear that Rich Casey is moving into Bitwarden as well. Um, I use, the other thing I should say is that I use two-factor authentication with LastPass and I use uh, biometric authentication on my phone. So I should be okay. Again, touching lots of wood here, but LastPass just blotted their copybook, unfortunately. So in the way that I said to you, they did have a hack, but they dealt with it. They really haven't dealt with it well this time. And I'm afraid that's made me lose trust in them. So I think they're probably gonna lose a lot of customers as a result of that. And my policy with this is that every site that you have, I mean, you know, your bank's the one you need to worry about. Every site will probably be hacked at one time or another. The question always is, how do they deal with it when they have a hack? Do they tell you immediately or do they hide the truth, bury their head in the sand and avoid all the questions, all the important questions? Well, first time LastPass didn't do that. This time they failed, I'm afraid. Uh, they've got an E minus uh, on the way they dealt with it. So unfortunately, it's time to move on, but it's very painful when you have to change softwares. I'm really quite annoyed about it. They could have uh, picked a different time, but yeah, Bitwarden's probably the one I'm going to use. Got a note from Jerry Evanoff this week. Hello, Jerry. Nice to hear the show. Nice to hear Lindsay back on the show. It's working really well with the three of you. I really enjoyed it. Lots of contrasting voices and experiences. So that's great. And it was a longer episode too. I, I like the long episodes. I don't like short episodes. I, if I like a podcast, I want nice long episodes to get your teeth into. So Jerry says, happy new year. Happy to hear you're coming back to the podcast weekly for a while. Loving to hear that you're playing around with a keyboard. Um, Jerry, if you listen to Jerry's podcast, he's just got himself a digital drum set so i said to him we'll have a band all we need is a lead singer now anybody sing out there we'll just have a you know little band me on the keyboards jerry on the digital drums and whoever's going to sing and off we go at the next self-publishing conference we'll be the resident band i'm gonna have to learn to play first by the way and i think jerry's the same i think he's learning from scratch too 
Jerry says, have a great 2023 with all your travels and I'll talk to you in the new year. So yeah, again, new author podcast, highly recommended. Uh, it's essential listening for me every week. Another link, I'm sure these are these are all over the place. I'm sorry these are all over the place, but I've just been kind of adding lots of stuff and I just needed to tell you it. I've got a nice blog from Fussy Librarian. The article is called 23 Marketing Strategies for Authors to Start or Keep Using in 2023. I'm not going to talk you through it. I'm just going to share that web link on the show notes this week. And I wanted also to mention, I heard Joanna Penn mention this, Rachel Heron has a podcast, the name of which I've forgotten. I wish I wish I didn't do this. Um, she, her, her author podcast, I'm going to share the link with you directly anyway, but she's done a money episode. She starts every year with a money episode and she shared her numbers for the, the money that she's making. I'll put a direct link to the show notes and to the episode MP3 file on my show notes for this week. So just head to selfpublishingjourneys.com and you'll find it there. Um, it's How Do You Write is Rachel's podcast. I've just found it on my on my phone. How Do You Write podcast. But here's what was most interesting, I thought. Most of Rachel's money comes from, first of all, teaching. And then it comes from writing. And the writing, most of it comes from self-publishing and then traditional. So fascinating that. Most of it comes from teaching. So effectively, most of it comes from kind of a day job. It comes from a day job, which is which is teaching writing. And then the next money, and there's quite a big difference, actually. Rachel's making a lot of money from the, the teaching. But then it comes from self-publishing. And she earns more from self-publishing than she does traditional publishing. Very, very interesting so i'll let you listen to the episode but it's well worth listening to you know any kind of insight people give into the money and what they're earning you know you can always learn the lessons from that but i i found two things fascinating there number one you know teaching makes a lot of money it's what um Desmond was saying in his comments about, uh, you know joanna penn makes a lot of money from her non-fiction from webinars from teaching from courses and we make less money from our from our fiction it's hard i think it's harder to make money from fiction that is from non-fiction so yeah great insight into somebody else she's making i think she made about a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand dollars i think it was so she's into six figures but the writing the element of that a six-figure income that is writing i think will give you a really interesting insight there I got two more links to share with you, three more links to share. I'm sorry there's so many links. I've seen so much interesting stuff online recently, and I just I want to share it with you because I think it's it's great material. I got another BookBub ad, uh, blog article. It's called Goals for the New Year, Ideas and Advice from 52 Authors. So I'll put that on the show notes. I've also got uh, one of these written word media articles that I love. Uh, these are the people who do book Bargain Books here and Free Booksy. And that article is called The Top 10 Publishing Trends for 2023. That's a great read too. It's on the show notes. I'm not going to talk you through it now because this podcast is already too long. And also, this is exclusively for people in the UK. If you're in the UK, you'll know, and, and, you, and you count yourself as employed, you'll know that our tax deadline is coming up at the end of this month. I contacted, I've had, I've had to get an accountant in this year, uh, not for my writing, but for something else. And so uh, I've been having to send figures and numbers and all sorts of things this year. And I've got a very hefty bill coming, which I'm not looking forward to either. So uh, I'm, I'm right in the middle of this, as I'm sure many of you are at the moment. But for UK, if you're UK, and you're doing self-assessment tax returns at the end of this month. There was a lovely Twitter thread that I got from a, an accountant 
called Heather Parry. I've never heard of her before. It just happened to get shared on my feed. And she's done a, a thread about how self-assessment isn't necessarily that bad. And there's a whole load of sort of tips and tricks and, and advice on there. It was really interesting read. So if you are self-employed, if you're in the UK, it won't, I don't think it'll mean very much to you if you're elsewhere in the world. But if you are a UK listener, I'll share that Twitter thread on the uh, downloads page on the resources page at selfpublishingjourneys.com and you'll see this episode it's really clear because it's got a uh, 400 it's the 400th episode and i've marked it with a nice graphic on the front of the podcast okay we're nearly done now um, what i'm going to try and do with this new season season five of the podcast is i'm going to try and stack all the writing stuff at the front and then leave the the exercise stuff the travel stuff and the sort of diaries the audio diaries if i continue those gonna leave that to the end so you can get all the kind of the juicy bits at the front and then if you're not interested in the exercise and the travel and stuff like that you can turn the podcast off so this is the point to turn off if you don't like listening to that sort of stuff so let's start with healthy author updates uh, and this kind of segues with our travel as you know we've been in in malaga uh, had a lovely holiday never been to Malaga before we spent a couple of days in Malaga and then we spent the rest of the break in Torremolinos I would have to say actually I'd rather spend the the, the place uh, rather spend the time in Malaga I think Malaga is the place to stay rather than Torremolinos we we loved Malaga Torremolinos was fine it's all fine uh, and we we were just up and down on the train all the time uh, doing different trips if you want to see what we got up to, then it's easiest if you look at the photographs. If you go to at Paul Teague UK on Twitter, check out my Twitter feed. You'll see all the various things we did, like uh, walking along the edge of a very high and scary mountain and going up a, a cable car, which was a lot higher than we both anticipated. We almost chickened out, but we did it. And you'll see pictures of the runs I did and things like that. But we had a, we had a wonderful time. It was really, I mean, oh, I don't like the UK weather at this time of year. I was able to wear a t-shirt all the time all the time I wore a t-shirt the only time I had to pop a jumper on was when we were at the top of a mountain and it was blowing a gale uh, twice basically at the top of the cable car mountain I put a, a light jumper on and uh, when we were at the side of the mountain it got a bit windy in places so I just put a jumper on then and by a jumper I mean a v-neck sort of lightweight um, jumper it wasn't a heavy jumper at all it wasn't a winter jumper so it was beautiful beautiful weather really really nice the flights were good uh, no problems with the travel we flew from Newcastle airport so it all went perfectly I did catch a cold while I was there it's the first time I've had any kind of uh, illness uh, since way before Covid so first time I've been ill in three years and I wasn't ill I was just um, I did a Covid test just in case I'd brought some out with us it wasn't Covid it was just a, a good old kind of common cold uh, and the only way that it changed my behaviour was I just decided not to run for a couple of days while I was out there. Uh, but that didn't matter because I got my, the big runs in that I'd wanted to. So I, I, I kind of went down with it after I'd done the, the 10K. I felt it coming on. And so all I did was just to make sure that I got all the energy I needed to do all the holiday stuff, I decided not to go running in the mornings, that's all. So that's the only way it affected me. But it was it cleared up in four days and it was just a cold. That's all it was. So it just came and went. I was more concerned really about my wife getting it, but my wife didn't get it. So I was done in four days and, um, and, and it didn't really interrupt very much at all, actually. So I did get the two runs in that I meant to do. So 
we the first one i did was virtually as soon as we got there uh was the malaga san silvestre 10k beautiful run we started i don't know whether you know malaga but there's a it's a big harbor there and there's a lovely old uh, lighthouse and we all started in the shadow of the lighthouse and we ran to the end of the harbor and they're all 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 around all around the harbor area by the boats and, and all the eateries and things like that we did that twice uh, and that was a lovely run we ran it was quite late at night actually i think we started about 8 30 at night but it's so warm out there and it was so well lit it really didn't make any difference but it was lovely you know people all dressed up in christmas gear uh beautiful atmosphere um, there's always a mixed uh ability runners you get the people who shoot off at the front then you get all the people who are just doing it for the fun of it so a lovely lovely environment my wife didn't join me on that one she was official photographer at that one uh, and then the next day so we transferred from our apartment um, we, we had a little bit of a crossover with the apartments so we weren't due out the Malaga apartment until the day after but we went to Torremolinos that afternoon and checked into our new apartment and so we, we got our options open but I said to my wife we're probably better if we go late on the train to Torremolinos to our apartment in Torremolinos and then that meant we could do the other run uh, which was in the morning of the next day without having to sort of pack up a house and jump on a train and run backwards and forwards it just worked easier so I did the, the 10k uh, had a shower we'd got the room clear the apartment clear jumped on the train arrived very late at our place in Torremolinos and then uh, we were up early the next day to do the other run now the other run was advertised in Torremolinos it was advertised as a 4k run which is what we were expecting we had to find our way to the town hall which wasn't too far from where we were staying um, it was wonderful you know loads of brilliant fancy dress it was a real kind of family affair loads of kids uh, some brilliant fancy dress actually the Spanish really you know took it to heart and we ran through the streets of Torremolinos it was right through the middle of Torremolinos it was wonderful but I was running along there expecting four kilometers and I turned the corner and there was one of these big inflatables that they used to mark the end and that was the end and I looked at my watch and I think it was about 3.2k something like that and it was bedlam at the start it was absolute bedlam I mean there were kids on bikes and scooters and all sorts so it was very clear very early on that this was a what we would call a fun run in the UK and it was not to be taken seriously and so uh, both my wife and I we just kind of trotted through the town and really just enjoyed it as a way of looking at the town with the streets closed so it was a lovely run but it wasn't 4k it was 2.8k it was total bedlam but it was wonderful it was you know it's absolutely wonderful experience so we thoroughly enjoyed that and then as i say i went down with the coal and i didn't run until i got back to the uk after that just to cut myself some slack the other thing that we've done health wise i did mention this to you in the objectives is both my wife and i have booked our places on the great scottish run 2023 so that's in glasgow on October the 1st I've booked a hotel too because I suspect all the hotel prices are going to go up very high so the, the minute I saw it uh, released I booked my hotel and uh, then I booked my place on the run um, so that what that means because that's on October the 1st it means I'm going to have to ditch the possibility of doing the park run double in Germany because it's also on that weekend so I think my wife really would like to try and work towards that 10k in Glasgow that's going to be her kind of aim for the year I would love to run the 10k in Glasgow of course when dates clash you can't do everything at once so the park run double in Germany which I mentioned as a prospect that's not happening anymore we're going to go to Glasgow instead and do that 10k run so for me a 10k run's fine it's just something that I'll do for me it's about the experience I'm really looking forward to going to Glasgow for the experience but for my wife that's going to be her 
target for the year. She's going to build up. She's running five kilometers at park run already uh, from a standing start. You know, Ron said he started with that first kilometer. That's how my wife started. And she's going to build up. I think she's got, she could build up a kilometer every two months and then she'll be ready to do a 10K in October. So really looking forward to doing that together. And then already we got back on Monday afternoon of this week. I have done two treadmill runs. So I did one on Tuesday morning and I did one on Thursday morning. So I did two 5K treadmill runs uh, and that's me kind of, you know, back back to running. Uh, I'm gonna do the park run, my first park run of the year on Saturday and then I'm back at the nature reserve on Sunday. So I really am, tr you know, truly back into the swing of things. So next week is going to be the first proper routine week of the year. I'm hoping, I'm planning to write on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So fingers crossed, I'll be telling you next week I've written 15,000 words and I'm planning to run another four times before we speak again. So that's part run tomorrow. It's gonna to be the uh, nature reserve on Sunday. I'll do another treadmill on Tuesday and another treadmill on Thursday. And that will be my kind of, that's the kind of routine. Gonna be making some Facebook ads, gonna start working through the Amazon ads training once again. So that's the week ahead of, as far as I'm concerned. And it feels you know good to be back in routine, just like that. Okay, it's a really long episode because I can tell you that the audio diary is going to last an extra half hour after this. So coming up next, after I've said goodbye, will be my audio diary from this week's writing activity. Let me know if that's interesting to you, if you think it's handy, if you think I should do it again. I'm happy to do it again, but if it's no use, if no one gets back to me and says, you know, it's a bit pointless really with that, I'll, I'll just stop doing it. It will just fade gently into the background. But if you do find it useful, I'm happy to, to do more of those as I progress through this book. And then my idea is, is that if I do it every time I write with this book, you'll, you'll hear me again, warts and all, you know, good days, bad days, days when I've struggled, days when I haven't hit my word count. You'll hear all of that as we go along and just get a better impression of how I hit those word counts, a more realistic impression of how I hit those word counts. Because as you'll hear from what's coming up next, I don't just roll up and it's not just easy. You know, it's as hard for me as it is for anybody and it's mind over matter for me like it is for anybody. But I think those diaries will give you much more of an insight into that. So, let me know if that's useful for you. In the meantime, that is it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week of writing. And from me, Paul Teague, it's bye-bye for now. Here's the diary. If you've ever found this podcast helpful, you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. Maybe I've saved you some time by sharing a new resource, perhaps I passed some information on that you weren't aware of, or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis. I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. You can make small one-time contributions, the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road. So it's the first chapter of a brand new book and I'm always really jittery at this stage. And I've tried to make the process as simple for myself as possible. Now, just to set the scene for you, my wife left the house 10 minutes ago. I have just reread the last chapter of book one 
to put my head in the zone because this chapter I've made it as easy as possible for myself to start writing book two is this chapter that I'm just about to write the first chapter of book two continues exactly where book one left off so if I get my mindset right all I'm doing is carrying on writing it's not a new book I'm just carrying on the story and that really helps me to get my head around what I'm doing now it's 10.01 at the moment on the 11th of January I'm writing this much sooner than I anticipated I wasn't going to get writing until next week but what I've decided to do is to change things around and I'm going to write the first chapter of the second book today and then my wife's out again on Friday. Things are all a bit different this week because we've come back from holiday and my wife's changed shifts around and things like that. So I'm going to write the last chapter of the second book on Friday. And then from Monday next week, I'm just going to get into my normal writing routine. And I'm very nervous about it. And you think how many books I've written now. I always worry about this stage until I've, I've got into my flow. So let me tell you how things are set up. I'm at my computer. I've got my two screens here. I've got a glass of water at my side. On the first screen right in front of me is my Scrivener file. It says chapter one. I've written the first sentence of the first chapter. And it's just the words are, you've got to be joking. Because at the end of the first book, uh, the main character just got a shocking piece of news. So... I just I don't want to have any description. I just want to get straight back into it, almost as if I'm continuing writing that last chapter. So the first words are, you've got to be joking. And then I've got some scene notes here. So I know what I'm going to write. I know the direction of travel. So here are my scene notes. I'll read them out to you. Now, they won't make any sense to you in context, but it will give you an idea of exactly what I use before I write. So here are my scene notes. They're going to interview Molly first thing next day. Kate sees the man is gone. She sees him running off in the distance. She stumbles and slips. A couple of young lads rescue her. They were filming the high waters at the floodgate. Kate breaks down crying at the side of the river hull, soaked and wretched. Jilly has come to find her and takes her back to her house to warm her through. The two form an alliance of sorts. Jilly promises not to mention what happened to Kate. The man posted something through Jilly's door. It's a photo of the fifth girl. Who is she? What's her name? She's at one of the city's old schools, David Lister. It's a picture of her in a school club. Kate's kids are coming the day after next. She knows she's in no state to receive them. She has to get her shit together. So that is, that's what I'm working to on this chapter. I'm going to write 1,650 words, however many words it turns out to be, based around that. Now, to you that makes no sense at all because you don't know the characters you don't know the story you don't know how we got here but for me I know exactly where I'm going with that I don't know what the words are yet I'm going to find those in the next hour but I know exactly where I'm heading so that's on my first screen everything's ready to go there on my right hand screen this is the screen to my side I've got the Scrivener file for book one open so I've got the last chapter in front of me so I can refer to it again if I need to I've just read it but if I need to refer to it I can just come back to it I've got uh, a browser, a web browser screen open, which has my online timer on. So all I do in Google is I write online timer and it just comes up with a, a timer that within the page. It's nothing fancy. And I've put the timer, uh, I've set it for an hour. So I want to write this in an hour. So I'm putting myself under time pressure. And then on the other tab, I have my living writer document open and in living writer i've got a list of all the characters because you know what i'm like I, i'm a devil forget for forgetting detail like names and you know names of softwares so i have all the characters i've got the list in in 
living writer. I've got that on the side. So I can flick between my tabs on my second screen to living writer, to the timer clock and to chapter, the last chapter of the first book. So I'm all ready to go. Now what I will do then when I've stopped this recording, I'll turn the volume down on my phone. I don't have buzzes and vibrations or anything like that. So when I turn the volume down, I won't be able to hear anything. Uh, the doors are all closed. I'm, I'm all shut off here in the house. Uh, so I'm not going to be disturbed by anything or anybody. And I will start the timer, head down, and I will write for an hour solid. So I'm going to do that right now. And I'll come back to you once the writing's done. And so that's it finished. That's my hour up. The peeps literally just went a couple of seconds ago. I just slightly wrote over by probably about half a minute. So the first chapter of the second book is written. And I have written since I last spoke to you. Let me just get rid of the scene notes and I can tell you how many words I've written. I have written 1,727 words. That's what I've just written in that hour. So it was an hour timed, exactly an hour, uh, 1,727 words. Now, I fussed a little bit with it. Uh, what, what I really should do is ignore spelling mistakes as I'm going along. If I wanted to write faster than that, then I would ignore the spelling mistakes. But actually, as I've been messing words up, I have actually gone back to correct them. So I could get that up to, I could probably write about maybe 2,000 words an hour if I wanted to. But at the moment, these chapters, are they need to be about 1,650 words. Already, already I'm nearly 100 words over my limit. But I, I'll monitor this throughout the book. Um, and I, I'll know as I'm going along that maybe I need to write or I can write a slightly shorter chapter. But roughly I'm aiming for 1,650 words. This is 1,727 words. It's a strong start to the book. You, you know I was jittery and nervous before I started writing, but the, it's funny that from that very short outline I've got, and from reading the last chapter of the first book, my head was in the zone, it was an, an action-packed scene, and the scene just wrote itself, really. Now, I can't tell you where on earth the words come from, because I often look back at books and think, how the heck did I just do that? I'm looking at those 1,700 words now and thinking, you know, how the heck did I do that? But you've got to put yourself in the scene You've got to know what the direction of travel is. I actually had slightly more than I needed plot-wise in terms of, of this chapter. So in this chapter, if you remember, we were going to hear details. Um, there was this photograph of the fifth girl that's crucial to the story. And we were going to get much more detail about that photo. But I realised that my hour was up and that I'd written, I'd written what I needed to. So I closed the chapter. I've mentioned the photograph in the chapter, but I haven't got into any detail. Literally, the last sentence is, you know, the guy dropped off the photograph. What was in it, says the other character. Well, it was a photograph of the other girl, the girl that we want to know who she is. And it's a school photo of her in the netball team. So I, I've left it on a, a question mark, a surprise piece of information. And what I have to do is carry on that detail. The next chapter will carry on with the detail about what the school was, where it is in the city, you know, and, and we'll take a look at the photograph. I didn't have time to do that today. So, so that's fine. You know, as you can see, I, I can pivot, I adjust, but I, I, I could have overwritten that, but I don't want to. If I don't try and keep my word count tightly on that 16650, roughly, it doesn't have to be exactly that, um, then, then my words are going to go crazy. Now, I've booked 75,000 words in with the editor. This needs to be 75,000 words. So I need to be disciplined. Now, that doesn't mean that within 
a chapter there could be slippage with the word count but overall I have to keep my eye on it so that I'm roughly going to hit you know I need to be hitting 75,000 words or thereabouts it could be a bit minus it could be a bit plus but roughly in fairness to the editor it needs to be 75,000 words and this is about controlling you know controlling your writing being in control of your writing um, keeping your mind on it not letting it grow like a weed you know unchecked um, so I am very strict about that um, so you know so I keep on my word count and keep on the plot all the time so what am I feeling now well a sense of elation I've, I've started the the next book and I, I now know that having just you know carried on the plot this book's going to write itself now it's all planned out uh, I'm into it now I haven't written for what three four weeks I haven't written for three or four weeks and it's a bit like riding a bike you wonder if you're still going to be able to do it and even though I've written so many books I always get that fear can I still do this because I still look at the books I've written in surprise and think how the heck did I ever write those books I still don't know how I did it and I'm still not sure how I wrote those 1700 words now but I did you know, so the message probably is, is that you need to be disciplined about it. No distractions. Put yourself on a timer. If this works for you, of course, this is what works for me. Um, you know, I'm rigidly disciplined about it, but now I can relax. I'm going to make a cup of tea and I will come back to the last chapter of this book. I'm going to write that on Friday. And then from next Monday, I'm going to start writing three chapters a day because I, I know my direction of travel I've started the book we're off now all I've got to do is turn up write three chapters on a writing day and the book will take care of itself so cup of tea time now this is cause for celebration I think it's a quarter past eight on Friday the 13th of January and I've decided that I'm going to write two chapters today on Wednesday I wrote the beginning of the book the first chapter of the book and throughout this story, there are two strands running. One goes through the 70s, the other is in present day. And so I have two climactic points in the 1970s storyline and in the present day storyline. So what I'm going to do today is write the two climactic points of the story. Now, this is following Craig Martell's strategy, where you write the beginning and the ending first. So this is a new thing for me. I'm trying something completely new. So while I was eating my uh, Weetabix this morning... I was on Google Maps uh, getting uh, a Google Maps image of a particular alleyway in Hull. It's called the Pathway in Hull. And I'd already done some research on this because I want, uh, in the end of the present day story, uh, there's going to be a meeting takes place in this long passageway in the old town in Hull. And it's a very interesting passageway. It has a very interesting history. But it runs through the old quarter, what they call the old town, the land of green ginger in Hull. And it's an unusual passageway in that it starts at the side of a solicitor's and then runs really quite a long way um, through the, the backs of, of buildings. Um, and as I say, it's steeped in history. This is a great place to have a climactic scene. But much as I knew that the passageway was there, I just needed to do the final check. I'm not going to tell you actually what happens in this passageway, but something needs to happen here. And I just wanted to be absolutely sure that I wasn't, uh, you know, barking up the wrong tree with it. So I, if, when I was eating my Weetabix at my desk this morning, I was on Google Maps and I've got I've got on my screen to my right hand side here a picture of one entrance of this passageway and the other entrance of this passageway, because that's going to be quite important, because somebody's going in one way, someone's going in the other way. 
and I needed to be sure what it looked like on, on both sides of the passageway. I also needed to be absolutely sure that you can get right through the passageway without obstruction. That was the other thing I needed to check. So I've also got a newspaper article which talks about the history of the passageway. It has a video tour of the passageway too. So I've, I've got some pre-prep done today for writing and as I'm writing today I'll be flicking to my right hand screen to actually look at those entrances um, for my description for the description of the streets as you enter them you know the surrounding area um, some local references in there as well I've even got a photograph of the sign that says the pathway and it's um, it's a stock image and you can see you can't actually see this on on the google images but you can see it on this image that the the sign that says the pathway is made up of small separate tiles it looks like it's a continual sign um, when you're looking on google maps so that's another interesting detail that I can put in the writing there so writing two chapters today and these are two crucial chapters they're not just I mean no chapter is just any chapter but these are quite important chapters now when I write these chapters today I'm I can edit them of course I can edit them they're not they're not set in stone but what they do serve as a writer is to set my direction of travel and this is this is Craig Martell's uh, strategy with this is that if you know where the book's got to end up all the points in between the beginning and the ending have to somehow lead to there. Now, the other thing I've realised, uh, I was writing my notes down at the beginning of this, I've realised that I'm actually going to, this is going to be quite a compressed chapter, and that I'm actually going to need a little bit more detail in the chapters that come before it, in, in that I'd spread a lot of this action over two or three chapters and in actual fact I'm going to compress it into one which means I'm going to need to just do a little adjustment to my plan which is fine because I don't start writing good and proper till Monday so I got Saturday well I got Friday afternoon when I finish writing today Saturday and Sunday just to course correct and of course I'm not going to be writing those chapters uh, till March certainly late February anyway so you know we can change this any time we can pivot the story any time this plan is just a rough guide for me. Now, let me just tell you what I'm about to write. I've got the scene notes here. And, and as with Wednesday's scene notes, these aren't going to mean a lot to you, but it will just give you an impression of what I'm writing to today. So bear in mind that before I start writing, I've got those two uh, Google Maps scenes of the entrances to that alleyway. I've got the photo up. I've got the newspaper article up. This is all on my right-hand screen. I've got Living Writer up with the names of the characters in case I forget anybody. And I've got my timer set up, my online timer, which is set for an hour. I think this scene might take me an hour and a quarter to write because I think I'll probably dither a little bit about the details and I might have to look at the maps. So I'm fine with that. You know, I could write 1,650 words in an hour but in actual fact I think this scene might take a, just a little bit more work than a normal scene because I'm going to have to refer to, to the maps. So I'm quite happy for this to take me an hour and a quarter if that's what it takes me. Now here are the notes that I've got, my scene notes for this scene. The meeting in the alley with the man with the birthmark. Kate gets the feeling she's being followed. The meeting. He shares a choice morsel with Kate. He's masked. Someone in power would be very angry to know we're speaking, but I believe they're in danger and I'm working to protect them. You need to look more closely at Father Duffy and Sister Brennan. There's something in their past that binds them. Now that sentence is going to form the basis of the final book and the, the unravelling of this mystery. A motorbike is roaring up the passageway. 
Kate follows her instructions. He told her to come alone. She enters the end of the alleyway, as requested. She has to wait a while. The man with the birthmark is not there. Now, I've just got a little bit of detail the wrong way there because the, the motorbike comes up the passageway when she's actually there and she's meeting the man and they've had a conversation. So the motorbike will now roar up the passageway. Now, as it, the motorbike rises up the passageway, there's going to be... The editor might be listening to this. I'm trying not to give away the plot too much. There's going to be somebody in the passageway who shouldn't have been there who followed Kate. And at the end of the book, she's going to get quite horrifically struck by the motorcycle hurled in the air in this alley. And it's going to be due to something that this character, uh, a weakness, that this character displayed in book one. So I'd laid a little seed in book one. And the thing that means that she gets caught in this book is is going to be that thing that I, I mentioned in book one. So I've already seeded this uh, in, in an earlier book. I was I, I didn't quite know what I was going to do with this little physical problem that she's got, but I've just worked it out. And so the end of the current storyline is going to, well, it's going to culminate in the death of a character who I've intentionally got you to like in the first two books. Now, I may change the death bit. I've, I've part of me feeling that I might uh, put her in a wheelchair and have her confined to the office. Uh, but she's definitely going to be very seriously injured and it's definitely going to feel like she's dead at the end of this book. Um, such will be the extent of her injuries um, you know, and the, and the nature of the incident. So that's what I'm just about to write. Uh, I'll be writing in about probably about eight minutes time. I'm just going to go and get a drink and, and settle myself. So I'll be writing from about 8.30 and I expect to finish 9.30 at the earliest, 9.45 probably at the latest. So I'll get writing now and then I'll let you know how it goes. Phew, so that was a little bit longer than I anticipated. That was a one, just short of one and a half hour writing session. But I have written 2,302 words. I have overwritten that chapter. I, I feel quite emotional because it's quite a dramatic uh, chapter. And I've just killed off a main character at the end of book two. And when you're writing trilogies, uh, you need to keep that impetus up. The book two just can't be a... Uh, by nature book two is often uh, people running backwards and forwards you're basically keeping all the plates spinning but not really giving any anything away so to keep the momentum going in, in book two I've got to drop some dramatic scenes and I figured that a uh, death of a character that you've been <laughs> encouraged to love and like in the first book and throughout the second book is a pretty good way of doing that so I'm feeling a bit emotional about killing off this character it's all a bit sad and dramatic uh, at the end and I've left it right on a cliffhanger <laughs> it's a really good cliffhanger so I think if you're into the books if you're reading the books you'll just think oh my gosh I need book three uh, because I, you'll probably think that she's this character's not dead well she is I'm, go I'm gonna kill her um, I'm definitely gonna kill her so that's quite a dramatic scene so 2302 words now as you know I like to write to about 1650 now, there was quite a lot at the beginning of that scene of me getting into the setting. So what I'm going to do is I won't allow my chapters to run that long. Um, I'm very formulaic about a book. I want the chapters to be roughly roughly the same length so that your expectation is consistent across the book. I, I want every chapter to end um, on a beat, um, either a question or something shocking or something that drives the plot forward. 
and I want them roughly to be the same length so that you've got an even experience when you're reading the book because it's just what I like when I when I read books I don't want to read one chapter that's a hundred words and then the next chapter is three thousand words I don't like that as a reading experience it's a personal thing and, and so I write like that too so the beginning of this chapter has quite a lot of scene setting. So what I will do when I get towards the end of the chapter is I will strip out about 700 words of description and scene setting at the beginning of that chapter. And I will I will end the chapter before it with that. I'll just take the words and drop them into another chapter uh, and set up the scene slightly differently. And I'll, it's fairly easy to do because basically this this chapter takes place in a long alleyway so I'll start with the description of the setup uh, sorry I'll end the chapter before it on the on the setup and then just have a sentence like she stepped into the alley or she stepped into the darkness of the alleyway something like that that's how the chapter before it will end using the description I've just used and then I'll just I'll just I'll just pick up the story at a suitable point so I'm looking now uh, it says that uh, she walked through a low arch tunnel which ran under a building. Uh, I could just pick it up th there in the final chapter. So I, I do want to keep those chapters about right. Now, I was quite worried about writing this chapter because I, I'd only got the bare bones of it. But as ever, it, uh, it, it sort of came to me. It came to me at the right time. Uh, the words came to me. And so I've written 2,302 words in an hour and a half there. And I've also obviously got the beginning of the cha of chapter 44 as well. So I've, I've slightly overwritten. I'm, I'm quite happy with that because I know what the end is now. I know what the end point is in the current story of that set in stone. Now, will that chapter need rewriting? Yes, probably. It's going to need setting up properly throughout the book. I might need to add some details to it, but I know how it ends. I've got my emotional beat at the end of the book it's a really kind of strong ending if you're enjoying this story I think it's almost a gasp moment uh, at, at the end at the end of the book if you're immersed in the story it's a gasp moment which is wanted to, what I wanted to give you quite 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 you know quite a shocking uh, moment so so I'm happy with that of course it's going to get edited of course it's going to get changed but the bare bones of the thing is there now it won't take an awful lot of editing it'll be a little bit of detail here and there a little bit of description here and there just a slightly little bit more setting up here and there um but the bare bones of that end chapter not even the bare bones of it the, the main chapter it's pretty well there uh, i'm quite happy with it i don't do a lot of re rewriting I, i'm pretty sparse with my words um, you know, I, I will, uh, there'll be a lot of repeat words and I'm terrible at repeating words. I know that, for instance, I've described the paved area poorly. I need to come up with more words for that. But those are going to be the changes I make. The, you know, the, the, the kind of the course of the action there, what actually happens there is absolutely fine. I, I know that sort of, you know, good out the gate. It'll be the word choice, word repetition, uh, better description. That's what I'll add to that uh, in editing. But for now, I got my ending. It's strong. I know the course of the book. I got the first chapter. I got the last chapter. It's going well. Now, what I'm going to do now is it's 10 o'clock now. I'm going to take a quarter of an hour break and then I'm going to come back to the final chapter of the 70s scenes. Now, I'm probably going to make myself a cup of tea while this is going on and then I'll get back to it and I'll get straight back down to the writing. So I like to have a little break. I just need to come up for air. I'll be thinking about the other chapter while I'm making the cup of tea, but I'll get straight back to it within half an hour and get back to the writing and get another 1,650 words done. So I'll, I'll, I'll be back shortly. I'm off for a cup of tea. 
my impulse now, having written a chapter like that and feeling quite pleased with myself that I've done it, my impulse is to think, all right, I, I fancy relaxing now. I'm not doing anything else. No, I've had a quick look at my emails. So when I have my little quarter hour breaks, I have a look at my emails, just check what's going on. I've checked uh, Discord and just had a quick chat to one of my kids about something that's happening later today. And I decided not to have a cup of tea. Uh, I'm trying not to snack in between meals at the moment. So rather than getting a cup of tea, I've got a cup of soup, which is kind of like a compromise between a you know a, a snack and a meal. So I'm having a cup of soup. I've got that in front of me. You can hear it. I'm just stirring it. And it's just cooling there. I'm going to go straight into the next chapter because I've got to keep this impetus up. And one of the things that I'd be keen to tell you is it sounds like I write a lot of words every day, and, and indeed, indeed I do. But this, I don't just roll up and do this simply. At this moment in time, having written 2,000 words, I'd quite happily pack up and finish and just play around on the internet for the rest of the day. Uh, but I force myself, I force my butt in my chair and I do that by keeping the breaks short. If I had a half hour, one hour break, I'd lose my impetus. So it literally is a nip to the loo, you know, get a drink, have a quick look at the emails, open up the next Scrivener page and get on with it. So I keep those breaks short and sharp. But please don't ever think that every sort of sinew of my body is not calling for me to just mess around the internet for the rest of the day. Because quite frankly, that's what I fancy doing right now. And even though I've just written that chapter, I'm still apprehensive about writing this next chapter. I'm just about to write the last chapter in the 70s uh, sequence of the story. I know how it's going to end. I know exactly how it ends, but I'm not too sure how I'm going to flesh this chapter out, uh, but, you know, because not an awful lot happens in it. It just has to end on a on this climactic point. It's a real key twist in the story. So I'm going to figure that out, out as we go along. I'll tell you what my um, I'll tell you what my scene notes are, and then you'll know what I'm kind of writing to. Uh, there's very sketchy scene notes here. So the scene notes simply say, it's 1975, this is one of the girls' stories in the books. There's a baby in the reception area of the mother and baby unit. It has a birthmark on its neck. It's unclear which of the girls the baby belongs to. Now, that's a key pivotal moment in the books. You need to know this information. And it's again, it's another one of those, ah, moments it's one of those are moments because we've got somebody in the book who has a birthmark on their neck and they're quite a pivotal character and we don't know who they are we're just about to discover that they're one of the kids that belongs to the girls in the story no, no one there's been no hint of this so far so that's quite a dramatic scene how I'm actually going to get there I'm not sure I'm going to work that out as we go along. So I've only got a sentence. And again, that'll be nothing to you. But within the context of the plot, I know exactly what that means. What I'm going to have to do now is flesh out, you know, 1,500, 1,650 words to, to simply just to get to that point and that revelation, which will be the very last sentence of that chapter. So I've got my soup. I've checked my emails. Everything's getting shut down again. I'm going to put the timer on and I'm going to be writing for an hour this time again because it's such a crucial chapter. I'll give, I will allow myself longer if I need it, uh, an hour and a quarter if I need it. But I don't think I will for this one. I, I don't think I'll have any trouble with the word count here. Um, I've just got to flesh out the details. So let's take a deep breath, a slurp of soup, and I'll let you know how I get on in an hour's time. 
Okay, and so that's that chapter finished. And I've actually finished it within the hour. I've left my timer running, so you can hear the sound I get when my hour is up. I've got 2 minutes 33 seconds left at the moment. So you'll hear the timer going off when the hour is up. I've written 1,689 words of that chapter in just short of 60 minutes. And you heard my uh, concern about it before I started writing. And you know, I have to tell you, I always, I always feel this at the start of a chapter. I seldom enter a chapter with complete confidence that I'm just going to be able to write it. But it's funny, you just need to take one step forward, you know, one step by step by step in the story. And it's a very simple technique, and I have said this to you before, but you just have to say to yourself, well, what would happen next? Where, where is my character and what would they do next? And I find that the action always, always flows from there. Now, you know that because I'd written notes for this chapter beforehand that I knew the direction of travel. I knew what had to happen. They had to find this baby at the end and reveal a piece of information that's crucial to the plot about this baby. So it literally, that comes literally in the last sentence. And I'm not going to tell you what that sentence is. Well, the sentence is, the poor thing, look, it has something. And I'm not going to tell you what that is because that something gives the game away about what happened in the book. So I'm trying not to give away spoilers here. But the whole purpose of that whole chapter is that sentence is to give that information away right at the end of that sentence so that is if you want the the cliffhanger at the end of the 70s plot and then before that i wrote the cliffhanger at the end of the current day plot so the two cliffhangers now will drive the action of book three and so in book three i could literally just pick up from those endpoints and uh, take it from there. I, I, you know, the, the, it won't even start with a nice cosy start, you know, or a nice description. It'll literally start right in the heart of the action, right in the heat of the action. So I'm, um, you know, looking forward to that. It makes the next book easy. So done the start chapter, done the two finished chapters. Uh, this book's going to have forty-five chapters in total. I've now written three of them. I got forty-two chapters to write. And I'm going to write, I'm hoping to write three chapters a day. So 42, sorry, 40, I've just got my calculator. 42, share three. That's another 14 days of writing if I can keep up three chapters per writing day. Now, here's the evidence that I got that writing done within an hour. That's the uh, alarm, my online timer just going off to say that's the hour. So I got those 1,689 words written within the hour. I hope that's a, a pretty useful insight for you. What, what I would like you to take away from this is that when I'm giving you my word counts, I don't just roll up and do it. It doesn't always come easily to me. It doesn't come without some apprehension on my part. I'm always apprehensive before I write, however much I plan. But somehow I managed to get from that empty page to however many words I write in the hour and the story tends to get there one way or another goodness knows what that that bit of magic is but let's just hope it keeps flowing because that's what enables us to be writers i hope that was useful that's two hours of writing well two and a half hours of writing done today uh, time for a little break now time to have a little play on the internet and check the emails again